Hi, I'm Marshall. And I'm Lindsay. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today we have another very, very special episode for you, another mailbag episode. We're going to answer a bunch of questions we've gotten that we don't really have time to make full episodes of, but are awesome and interesting nonetheless. We've got questions that range from rainbows to mole rats, so stay right where you are. Don't burrow into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) So today, our usual roles on the show are reversed. Marshall did all of the research and talked to all of the scientists this week while I relaxed and sipped lemonade, which is what Marshall is usually doing. Love me some lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) Tangy and sweet. (laughs) Are you excited to find out what I learned? Yes. Well, how about we just get right into it? Our first question comes from our listener, Arbella. How do rainbows get their color? I thought that the sun shines into raindrops, and on the other side, it's rainbow. But then why does the rainbow not fall down with it? That is a great question. (laughs) I know. I'd never thought about it. Like, why don't rainbows fall down with the water that they're reflected off of? I just thought that they're there and then they're not. And every time you see a rainbow, it's just a beautiful miracle of nature. (laughs) Well, it is that. (laughs) So I asked Greg Gaber about this, and you might remember him from our Flipping Cats episode. I do. (laughs) (laughs) He pointed me to a blog post he'd written on this very subject. So what did he say? Why don't rainbows fall down? Well, so first of all, about how rainbows form. Arbella's got it mostly right. Light goes into raindrops, and on the other side, it's rainbow. But importantly, it's not about light going through raindrops. It's light reflecting off raindrops and going back into your eyes. Why is that important, though? Well, because raindrops at a certain height are only reflecting light of one color of the spectrum to your eyes. So as the raindrops fall, they reflect a different color into your eyes. Like red and orange and yellow and... Roy G. Biv! (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So that's why the rainbow doesn't move. As long as there are new raindrops falling, the rainbow won't change. Oh, I see. So if you want to read Greg's blog post about it, we'll link to it on our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. It gets a lot more technical than we did here, so I'm also linking to some videos that break it down a little more easily. Okay, ready for the next one? I've never been more ready in my entire life. (laughs) So I'm super excited about this one. I have so many amazing things to tell you here, and, well, let's just go ahead and get to the question. It comes from our listener, Matheny. My name is Matheny. I'm four years old. And my, and my question is, why are naked mole rats naked? That is maybe the most adorable question about naked mole rats <laughs> I've ever heard. Yeah, that's probably the only question about naked mole rats I've ever heard. Okay, okay. So to get down to business, I asked Chris Fox, a scientist out of the UK who studies mole rats, for help with this. And he said it's actually kind of hard to answer why they're naked. I thought it was just because they don't have clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm sure that's part of it. It turns out that there are actually 30-plus species of African mole rat, and the naked mole rat is the only one that is um, naked. So naked mole rats are actually living the terrifying nightmare of showing up to school naked every day. (laughs) So embarrassing. (laughs) So why are they the only ones that are naked? 
The best reason scientists have come up with so far is that it has to do with the mole rat's environment. Since they live in the dark, they don't need to get dressed? (laughs) (laughs) I think being naked is less of a fashion statement and more about survival. They live in a dry climate, so they don't always have easy access to food. They survive better if they can keep a low metabolism, which is why they're cold-blooded. So low metabolism is when you don't use a lot of energy to get around. But wait, they're cold-blooded. Yes, just like reptiles. One of many crazy cool naked mole rat facts. Instead of controlling their body temperature internally, like most mammals, they control it by moving in their burrow. If they get too cold, they move up closer to the surface where the sun heats the earth. And if they get too warm, they move deeper underground in their burrows. Because they don't have air conditioning. (laughs) Well, not yet. (laughs) Because they're cold-blooded, it helps them to be hairless. Their naked skin means that they can easily pick up heat from their environment or lose extra heat if they're too hot. As Chris said in his email to me, they have a high thermal conductance, which just means that their skin makes it easy for them to have the same body temperature as their environment. So being naked helps them control their body temperature. Yep. Our next question comes from Kaev, who wants to know why you can't sneeze with your eyes open. I know the answer to this one because I actually took video of Marshall doing it the other day. You can sneeze with your eyes open. Speaking from experience, it's not impossible. It's just hard because the nerves that are telling you to sneeze are closely connected with the ones that tell your eyes to blink. But just like anything, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. And if you want to see the video of Marshall doing this, it's on our new Instagram account. At Tumble Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our next question comes from Colette and Rosalie and is about dreams. This is Colette and Rosalie from Los Angeles, California. Our question is, why do we have dreams and what do they mean? I had a dream last night, and I have no idea what it means or why it happened. So, Marshall, since you researched this, can you interpret my dream? No. (laughs) This is another question that science hasn't really figured out all the way yet. There are some theories, but the truth is that there hasn't been conclusive evidence to support any theory over another. So, those dream interpretation books I've been reading, that's not science? No, but it is kind of fun. It is fun. (laughs) That's why I'm reading it. I knew it wasn't science. (laughs) All right, so what do scientists think about dreams? Well, there are lots of theories out there. One theory is that dreams are just random accidents, that they're simple, meaningless byproducts of brain activity during sleep. Oh, so, like, just random things. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, that could be true. Uh, Another theory is the exact opposite. So some believe that dreams are ways to work through difficult thoughts and feelings. So if you're upset about something or you're confused, a dream can help you sort out your feelings while you sleep. That's the one that I want to buy into. Yeah, that's a good one. But my favorite has to do with memory consolidation. Memory consolidation? Is that like putting all your memories together in one box? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, kind of. So this theory goes that dreams are a result of our brain consolidating and strengthening our memories of what we learned during the day. So a dream is like a simulator putting us through experiences we've had and helping us remember the important ones better. So like a flight simulator where you're learning to fly before taking off into the air and putting everyone's life at risk. Right! 
So this is my favorite because it gives you a good idea of how best to study for an important test or do well in school. Just sleep. While you sleep, your brain's doing lots of good work that will help you remember important skills and knowledge. Even though we don't know for sure that that's what's going on when we dream, scientists do know that that's happening sometime when we're sleeping. Another great excuse to get lots of rest. <laughs> exactly. I know. Health tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sleep a lot. <laughs> Our very last question comes from Oscar. My name is Oscar, and I'm seven years old. Why is it when you try to tickle yourself, it doesn't feel weird and funny and makes you laugh, but then when someone else tickles you, it makes you laugh and it feels weird and funny? Okay, so the thing I love about this question is that there was a really great study published on this very topic in 2000. The paper was called Why Can't You Tickle Yourself? And it was written by Sarah Jane Blakefore, Daniel Wolport, and Chris Firth. I can't wait to see how they tested it. <laughs> okay, so first they invented a construct called tickliness. <laughs> I'm already giggling uncontrollably. <laughs> so their model of tickliness guessed that you can't tickle yourself because when you control the action, your brain can predict how it's going to feel so it pays less attention to it. How did the study test that? Well, robots, of course. <laughs> Tickle robots? <laughs> tickle robots. <laughs> I've heard of tickle monsters, but I have never heard of tickle robots before. I wonder if they called it the Ticklebot 3000. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a bunch of people sit down and with their left hand control a robot that held a piece of foam that traced a ticklish pattern on their right palm. The person either had complete control of the robot, no control, or the robot would do what it was asked, but after a slight delay. So the goal was to find out if having control over the robot made it less tickly? So yes. If their hypothesis was right, the robot that people didn't control at all would be the most tickly, the one they controlled completely the least, and the one with limited control would be somewhere right in the middle. And? That's exactly what they found. So thanks to a tickle robot and some genius tickle scientists, we know that we can't tickle ourselves because our brain can predict how trying to tickle ourselves would feel. No surprise, no giggles. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, Ticklebot. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks today to all the scientists who help answer our questions. Dr. Chris Fox, director of the Science and Engineering Program at Queen Mary University of London, and author of the book African Mole Rats, Ecology and You Sociality. Thanks to Greg Gaber, professor of physics and optical science at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and author of the blog Skulls in the Stars. Thanks also to Dr. Rachel Berman and Dr. Danny Rabiotti. If you want to learn more about the questions that we answered today, including some insane naked mole rat facts we didn't have time to include, go to our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com, and click on the blog. We'll have links and pictures of naked mole rats you can stare at until they start to seem cute to you. <laughs> Thanks also to our new supporters on Patreon, Sherry Wade and David Chandler. If you want to be like these awesome people, add your pledge at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. We also wanted to give a special shout out to our listener Declan, who just finished his last proton radiation therapy treatment. Thank you for your genius sense of humor and your incredible bravery. 
Maybe someday you and your parents can have me over to play with your awesome vintage toy collection. <laughs> Sarah Lentz is our editor. My name is Lindsay Patterson, and I created this show. You did. My name is Marshall Escamilla, and I wrote and produced this episode, and I usually make the music. Stay tuned next time for more stories of science discovery. Thank you.